Welcome to the Bible Questions podcast brought to you by BibleQuestions.org and the Holly Street Church of Christ. This podcast is dedicated to answering your Bible questions from the Bible. My name is Jeff, and along with Brian, we are the hosts of this program. Welcome to the second lesson in our special series on adding to your faith. As we mentioned in the introduction, Alan Hitchin, an evangelist who has been preaching for over 40 years, will be going through the spiritual qualities that the Holy Spirit, through Peter, tells us are critical to add to our faith. So if you have a Bible available, please turn over to 2 Peter chapter 1 and join us in learning how we can add to our faith. My name is Brian, and along with Jeff, we host this podcast. Hey, Jeff, uh, certainly looking forward to this uh, second lesson in the series where we're going to be talking about virtue. And you mentioned in the first lesson of this series that, you know, adding the spiritual qualities that we're looking at here in you know, 2 Peter chapter 1 are not easy and require some effort to fully understand them in our life. Can you uh, share why you mentioned that and why you feel that way? Sure. And in some ways, it kind of boils down to a few different things. I mean, first of all, it kind of starts off with vocabulary, um, which kind of is also dependent on your particular translation uh, and understanding what the individual words mean, you know, not only in the English, but perhaps more importantly in the Greek. And, you know, that certainly takes some extra effort and some digging to get as much as we can from the passage. I think the other challenge is when you contrast these kinds of things with our modern world and the environment that a lot of people you know live in every day uh, a lot of these things are what i might call a counterculture uh, to what you know we currently experience mm -hmm. and so they're they're kind of challenging from that perspective as well uh, but maybe even more fundamentally some of these things uh, perhaps run even counter to our own bias or our own nature or our own tendencies or proclivities or whatever word you want to use. And so our initial reaction, for instance, to a confrontational situation, for instance, might be to, you know, lash out in anger or get revenge, you know, might be our quote unquote knee jerk reaction. But as we'll see with some of these, um, you know, the spirit, you know, calls us to a much, um, higher or more uh, pure or spiritual uh, response and attitude and behavior. So it's it's also challenging from that perspective as well. And there's probably some others that our, our listeners can probably think of as well. You know, it's it's not a walk in the park. It's not, uh, you know, uh, baby Just food. Read so it and it's easy, right? <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's not easy. It's, it's more of the, the, the meat of the scriptures as opposed to the milk of the scriptures. Absolutely. Yeah. Very good thoughts. Appreciate that. Alan, in the, in the first lesson, you mentioned, you know, that you over the years had, you know, kind of a common question that you've been asked regarding what you thought was the most important lesson you could preach to a Christian. And you said that it was the principle of adding to our faith. And in the first lesson, you discussed the reasons given by the Holy Spirit through Peter, you know, as to why we should add to our faith. And, and for instance, you touched on the fact that by adding these qualities, adding these spiritual qualities to our lives, it would help us to make our call and election sure to, you know, prevent us from stumbling and, and ultimately would help us to gain an entrance, you know, into the everlasting kingdom of, of the Lord. So is this why you felt that this was the most important sermon that you could preach to a Christian? Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. Uh, the Bible is a huge book. And when we first become a Christian, it's almost overwhelming. There's so much to learn in the Old Testament and the New Testament. So through the years, I've tried to find ways that new converts can quickly get up to speed. And I've found that the Sermon on the Mount uh, and this particular passage both promise that they are comprehensive. At the end, Jesus says, if you hear these words of mine and do them, then you're building on the rock. So there is so much in the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus promises at the end of that sermon that we will be on rock-solid ground. And so instead of having to read the entire Bible, I can teach them the Sermon on the Mount. And the same thing is true with Second Peter. Uh, as you just mentioned, Peter says that if these things are yours, you won't be barren, you won't be unfruitful, and you will be able to see clearly because you won't be blind. 
Then in verse 10, if we diligently add these seven things to our faith, we will make our calling and election sure, and we'll never stumble. So those are big promises based on the adding of seven things to our faith. And then, of course, in verse 11, he concludes with, if you have these seven things, your entrance into the eternal kingdom will be abundantly supplied. So it just struck me with these promises, and then, of course, we added those other things that Peter had said about wanting us to remember them. It, it just feels like for, for this, this particular scripture would comprehensively cover everything that a Christian needs to be doing. Excellent. Appreciate that. So, and I know we would certainly recommend our listeners, you know, go back and listen to the, you know, full uh, previous uh, podcast to, to come up to speed, so to speak. But Alan, if you were to kind of, if you will, summarize uh, the previous or the first lesson uh, for our audience to kind of quickly bring them up to speed, how, how would you go about doing that? Well, I'd, I would start, as Peter does, in verses 3 and 4 by reminding us what God did. God gave us divine power. First, he created the heavens and the earth, and he created us. Then he had the Old Testament written with all of the wisdom within it. Then he sent his son to die for us. He offers us the New Testament scriptures. And so we see his divine power just all across the spectrum. And then he says he's granted us his precious and exceedingly great promises. So the hope of heaven and the new body and all of the wonderful promises that God has made and he leads from that into what's now possible for us. Because God gave us his divine power and his uh, precious promises, now we can become partakers of the divine nature. And I think that's a promise. I think that's a promise that what we lost in the fall, the terrible changes that happened to us being in his image and likeness, and now we are not so much in his image and likeness, but by adding these seven things to our faith, we can once again become partakers of the divine nature, and we can also escape the corruption that is in the world through lust. And that's why, uh, as I said, God's expectation from us is that we add on our part. So we do what we need to do in order to supplement. It's like Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2, for by grace, through faith, you have been saved. So there's God's part, the grace, there's our part, the faith. But as James points out, this is not a dead faith. This is a working faith. So what does God expect us to do? To add these seven things to our faith. So I think that would pretty well summarize the, the first lesson. Thank you. Appreciate that. Yeah, and Alan, you know, it's interesting how sometimes when people are converted, they're baptized for the remission of their sins. They know that they're saved, as we say. They know that they've restored their relationship to God. And unfortunately, sometimes people think that's all there is. Hey, I'm saved. I'm in great shape. But as you're pointing out in this series, it really is the starting point once we become a, a new Christian. And from that point forward, we need to start building on our spiritual foundation. And it seems like these qualities that you're going to be talking about would really be a good place to go for new converts, especially. Yeah, I think I think that's a good way to summarize it. We do have a race to run, and we have a stewardship, the parable of the talents, the parables that Jesus describes, the efforts and toils, his expectations of us. And so these the, the, the idea that we can just continue to live the way we were living before we became a Christian, but now we have faith, is totally and completely uh, opposite of what the scriptures actually teach for us. So in this lesson tonight, we are going to look at that first spiritual quality, virtue. And one of the things that Jeff and I mentioned from time to time on this podcast is that depending on the translation people are using, they may not see this word virtue. So we, for instance, if you're using you know, King James, New King James, American Standard, English Standard, it, the word is translated, the original Greek word is you know, translated virtue. But if somebody's using the New American Standard, they might see moral excellence. If they're using the NIV, it might say goodness. So, uh, you know, there seems to be some confusion about the word. Can you uh, help to clarify that? Uh, yes. 
This is a very difficult word to translate into English. There, there really is no English word to fully capture what the Greek word actually meant. And so the translators did the best they could. Uh, they used the word virtue to describe those qualities that are precious and special and make us special. Moral excellence, again, is a word that emphasizes the the importance and, and specialness, excellence uh, and goodness. But these words are too general. They, they don't really give us what, what, am I, what exactly am I supposed to add to my faith? Virtue is a huge concept, moral excellence the same. And so we, you know, sometimes we have to go back to the original language. I don't generally, I don't express, I don't uh, tell people that you need to know Greek but from time to time, I need to talk about Greek because we can look over the shoulders of the translators. We have the same tools that they had, and we have the opportunity to go back. As a matter of fact, many of the lexicons were written by translators. And so when you're reading a Greek definition, then you're reading what the translators use to translate. And, uh, and unfortunately, they only get one word for each word. They don't want to paraphrase, so they can only give us one word. And so this was the best word that sums it up. But if you go to uh, some of the lexicons, uh, you, you find this, that the Greek word can refer to any excellence of achievement. So this is the, the gold medal at the, at the fair or the medal for the army uh, or the uh, valedictorian or the best in the class at school or the people in sports that are the very best that they can be. And so the first part of virtue or, or uh, moral goodness or, or excuse me, moral excellence or goodness is the desire to be excellent, the desire to, to be the very best just like the person in school wants to be the very best or the person on the football field wants to be the very best or the soccer field for that matter. Uh, it also means mastery in a specific field. So these would be the men and women th through the spectrum of uh, people who are doctors or lawyers or masons or what, whatever it is. This person has mastered it. He, he is excellent. And this would be the person that you would go to to see a masterpiece. And so the, the first basic concept behind the word is that in my efforts to achieve and in my efforts to master, I want to be the very best. And then that subject of achievement just goes again across the spectrums as, as I'm reading this definition, lands, animals, objects, parts of the body, uh, whatever it is that we have that makes us uh, feel that we have an ability to master. Uh, the scriptures are very clear in uh, the, the uh, parts of the body in Ephesians chapter 4 or in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, that some are the eye, some are the feet, some are the hands. Well, if I am an eye, I want to be the best eye I can be. If I am the foot, if I am the mouth, I really and truly want to struggle and become the very best that I can be. And so this is eminence, excellence, uh, interest, intensity, whatever it is in my life that I, it's, it's, it's what I talk about and live for. Uh, whatever that is, I need to change it to make it the scriptures. I need to change it to make it my spiritual growth. So if we don't have this intensity, this diligence, this desire to excel, this desire to be the best we can be, then uh, we are going to run the race, but we're not going to run in a very good way. So the basic concept behind the word, and we're going to develop this with a lot of scriptures and a lot of examples today so that we can fully understand exactly what God is expecting from us. But it, it actually carries the concept of excellence, preeminence, and the very best that we can be. Well, in some ways, it sounds like this concept, virtue, for instance, you know, really should be the foundation, if you will, uh, of our effort, uh, should be the foundation that, you know, gives us the enthusiasm, you know, to perhaps do whatever 
it is that really interests us. So I guess, practically speaking, you know, how would we actually add this to our faith or add it to our belief and make it truly a central part of our Christianity, our walk with God, perhaps on, a, on even a, you know daily basis? Right. Yeah. And I think that Jesus really captured this. So uh, if you'd like to turn over to Matthew chapter 13, 44, uh, and read that for us, then I think that we'll be in a position to talk a lot more about that, that, that question. Sure. Uh, Matthew 13, 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid, and for joy over it he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Okay, and, and that is virtue summed up in one parable. First of all, we see the kingdom of heaven and all of the responsibilities and obligations that God has asked us to shoulder for him, going into all the world, preaching to the gospel, to people, the growth and worship and learning how to worship appropriately. And so we're going to sell everything that we have because we see the kingdom as the greatest treasure in our life. And as I say, when we grow up, we, we find that that will happen. Maybe we try sports and we find out we're good at it. Or maybe we start uh, working in school and we find out that we just have a knack for getting A's on all of the tests. Or maybe we are in a situation where we have a hobby and we find that we're really, really good at it. And so these become our priorities. Now, Jesus says, when we find the kingdom, it is the greatest treasure. It is the greatest adventure. If we're going to put forth our efforts, let's put it forth here. It has greater returns in uh, the abilities that it gives to us, and it has greater returns in the rewards. Everything that we, that we think is interesting in this life ends when we die. But this is a living hope, and this is something that will go on into eternity. And so as Jesus points out, it makes perfect sense to sell everything else for the joy of finding the kingdom of heaven. And this is virtue. Now, some of us have it naturally. When we are converted, we just realize this is the most important thing and we let go of everything else. We set it aside because now learning about the kingdom, learning about, or as, I, as, as we'll, we'll see as we go along, adding the other six things to our faith is founded on this virtue. In other words, I find the kingdom, I see it as a treasure. I'm ready to sell everything that I have to buy that field because the rewards of the gospel are far greater than any other thing that we could, we could put forth. So this is, I think, really the foundation of virtue. And uh, when we think about it, our most important interests are really easy to identify. I, I could ask you some questions. What do you talk about? And, and when you meet people, when you meet strangers, uh, what do we talk about? Do we talk about our jobs? Do we talk about our family? Do we talk about our, our uh, hobbies? Uh, do we talk about politics? Do we talk about religion? What we talk about shows our interest, how we use our time and our money, what we read about, how we try to excel. It's one of the reasons we choose our friends. We like to be around people who share our common values. So if our goals are in sports, we like people who, whose goals are in sports. If our goals are in academics, if our goals are in uh, our agriculture or, or working with animals, and so when we, we look at this, we ask ourselves a question, what captivates my heart? And I'll need to sell that if it's not the kingdom of God, if it's not the joy of finding the kingdom of God and, and putting forth the efforts that would be a part of that. And so when we have free time, what do we look forward to? What do we want to do? Do we want to watch television? Do we want to listen to the radio? Do we want to uh, play with our friends? Or do we want to study the scriptures and spend time in prayer and and look for people to talk to about God. And so there's just a, an inexhaustible supply of enthusiasm and excitement and interest for the things that we enjoy. Now, if we can transfer or substitute the kingdom of God for all of our other interests, 
then we've added virtue to our faith. This is really the basis of virtue. God would like me to sell all that I have. God would like me to put his kingdom above everything else in my life. And virtue is my uh, ticket to do that. And so I need to add that. I need to add to my faith the understanding that it's natural to want to sell everything that you have and want to seek first uh, the kingdom of God. And so uh, that, I think, is very, very important. And that's what we learn. Those are the dynamics of virtue. And so this is why Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, it's, it's the one hope of our calling. And it's worth every sacrifice. Paul said in uh, uh, Romans 8, 18, I reckon that the sufferings of this time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that's coming. And then in Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, again, the dynamics of virtue. Uh, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind and bring your body as a living sacrifice to God. Well, virtue, if I have virtue, those things make perfect sense. And not only do they make perfect sense, but when I see those things, my ears perk up and my heart leaps and I tell myself, this is where I need to be. This is what, and people who don't have virtue, people who haven't taken the motivations and taken the things that make virtue so important, uh, they're never going to add it. And without it, uh, your efforts are going to be minimal instead of putting forth the best effort that we possibly can. Yeah, and it sounds like, Alan, that, you know, the mindset you're describing is what Jesus described as hungering and thirsting for righteousness in Matthew 5. Um, you know, it also reminds me of the effort that athletes make, you know, in a, the Olympic Games. Uh, in fact, that even Paul talked about in Corinthians. Yes, and and... I think it'd be wise for us to read that verse so that everybody who's listening today can kind of get into the uh, understanding of what virtue is. So let's go ahead and uh, read 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses uh, 24 and 25. So here Paul says, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. All right. And so once again, uh, winning. Virtue makes me want to win. Many people, they want to get fit. They want to exercise, but they they don't have any virtue. They're not They're not in it for the true effort and energy and enthusiasm. And so Paul's capturing that. Now, not everyone is an athlete, but whether we're an athlete or whether we are like one of the 10 virgins ready for the marriage feast or whether we are the steward in the parable of the, of the uh, you know, talents, we want to put forth our very best. So in this particular parable, he says that Everybody runs, but only one receives a prize. And every Christian, we are running a race. Uh, this is the point in Hebrews chapter chapter uh, 12, where he says that we need to set aside every rate, weight and the sin that so easily besets us and run with patience the race set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. So running in such a way to, that you might win and you might obtain it, that's virtue. That's the essence of virtue. Uh, I want to run in the best because the glory to be revealed is not worthy to be compared. And, and I'm going to sell all that I have to buy that field. Well, again, the dynamics of this are motivation. And motivation is based on reward. And so in this particular case, the reward is to get the prize. In the particular case of the parable of the treasure in a field, the goal is to get the treasure. In the one case, uh, the man sells all that he has. Well, look at verse 25. Everyone who competes for this prize is self-controlled, temperate in all things. They do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we do it for an imperishable crown. So there's a direct tie between the excellence of the people who do the Olympics 
sometimes when you're watching the Olympics, they'll give background stories if you've ever gotten to see it. And they, they talk about the sacrifices and the effort, getting up at five in the morning and, and not eating anything but what the coach tells them they can eat and going to bed and having to sacrifice many of the things that they would like to do. But if you want to be the best in the world, then that's what you do. And I, I like the fact that God tells uh, God expresses of Job, I don't have anyone like him in all the earth. And he expressed of Abraham, he's my friend. And he expressed of David that he's a man after my own heart. And on and on it goes through the scriptures. Now, I would like to have that. In a great house, there are vessels for honor, but only for those who purge themselves. Well, to get that honor requires virtue. To be a Moses or an Abraham or a Daniel or a David, uh, we have to have that virtue. We have to have that motivation, that inner dynamic that nothing else matters. The kingdom of heaven is the greatest and most precious goal that any of us, as Paul said in Philippians, if by any means I might attain to the resurrection of the dead. Because if we miss heaven, Uh, we've lost everything. If we don't get that eternal life, then we'll have all eternity to regret that we didn't have more virtue, that we didn't want to be better, that we didn't put forth that extra effort and that extra energy to get it right. Like Paul said to Timothy in chapter 2 of 2 Timothy, uh, give diligence to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, handling aright the word of truth. And so studying the scriptures and trying to understand them, you remember the Bereans were more noble because they searched the scriptures every day to see if these things were so. These are all examples of virtue. Virtue in the games. Virtue with that treasure. Virtue with uh, the responsibilities and obligations. And, and if I don't have that, then my efforts are going to be very feeble and they are not going to be what they need to have. So we look at this person who wants to get ready for the Olympics. And so it's got to be a passion because the sacrifice and the pain are so great that if, if you don't have that passion and you can't look at those those that pain and sacrifice as a pleasure because it's a means to a goal, then you don't have any virtue. Uh, we have an expression in, in our language, no pain, no gain. Or when the going gets tough, the tough get going. And that's what virtue is. And so we find a coach. Well, in this case, we don't need a coach. We have the apostles and we have Jesus. And so we develop these skills and do the best, the, excuse me, the best that we want. And so spiritual things slowly become our highest priority. And it's not forced. I don't have to force myself. For example, in Hebrews 10, it says, don't forsake your assembling together. Now, for most of us, that is a mandate that we want to do. We would never, there's nothing more important, not work, not, not television, not any of our other hobbies or other interests are more important than our attendance on the first day of the week, not our family. Uh, another aspect of virtue, he that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He who, owns his, he who uh, puts his own life above me is not worthy of me. And so these are all characteristics of virtue, making sacrifices, putting forth the effort, and looking at it as an enjoyable thing. And so whatever is important to us, we know Christianity is above that. And if it's not, then we have the responsibility to make some changes. We all have degrees of ability and intensity and enthusiasm. We all have degrees of time and money. I mean, everybody's different. Like Paul said, that the parts of the body have different functions, and we're all different. But virtue is going to be our first fruits. Whatever our best efforts, it's going to be given to God first. And and uh, so this is this is what we're we're struggling and striving to to put forth. Yeah, well, and it certainly sounds like this degree of diligence, this degree of dedication, this degree of commitment, enthusiasm, et cetera, certainly would be you know foundational and from which a lot of the things would flow. Um, but for our listeners, could you perhaps maybe clarify it maybe even a, a little bit more 
by going back into the scriptures and showing some examples of people in the Bible that kind of exemplified this kind of virtuosity. Right. And we, we have an expression here in America, a picture is worth a thousand words. And so oftentimes a good example is better than all of the scriptures that describe it, because once we see the example, then we see the scriptures that describe it a little bit better. So uh, Paul talks a lot about himself. We're just going to look at a couple of verses, but those of you who are listening today, it would, it would be really wise for you to read uh, the entire third chapter of Philippians. But for now, Jeff, if you wouldn't mind reading Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. Sure. What things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. Now, this is a perfect illustration of the man who sold all that he has to buy that field. And this is also the perfect illustration of virtue. Paul says, I had a lot of things in my life, important things to me. They were a gain to me. They were things that my life was based on. They gave my life meaning and they, they made my life, uh, they gave me the self-esteem and they, they made me feel like what I was doing was important. Then I met Christ on the road to Damascus and I realized that those things were rubbish. They were useless. They were in comparison. Now, I'm not saying that our family and our hobbies and our job, they have an important value. But in the perspective of eternal life, in the perspective of Jesus dying for me and asking me to make sacrifices for him, Paul says, once I saw that, I counted them loss. And then he goes on to say, I count everything a loss. In other words, I'm willing to sell everything that I have if it's in the way. And again, this is virtue, excellence, effort, uh, enthusiasm, excitement, moral excellence, goodness, virtue. Uh, and Paul exemplifies it here. I count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. And I, I still look back on them just like we would when we throw something away. Uh, it's because we don't need it, because it has no value to us. And so rubbish means the things that I throw away because they don't have any value. And Paul says, everything that I thought was important, you know, you look at Paul, when he became a Christian, he, he lost his job. His job was to be a Pharisee and to uh, put forth the ability to teach and preach in the law of Moses and teach Jews, and he lost that. Uh, all indications are he lost his family because his family was not happy with him becoming a Christian, and he lost his friends, and he lost his reputation. Everything that Paul thought was important had to be, you know, it's like we sit down, we count the cost. No man who uh, follows me can turn around. If, if you put your hand on my plow and you turn around and look back, you're not worthy. And so Paul knew that. And Paul said, there is nothing in my life. Well, Paul was exemplifying virtue. Now, how did he get that? How did he see this to be, as I said, it's based on motivation. It's based on, based on what we think is important and what we think has value. And so if I think money has value and I think money is important, then I'm going to put all my virtue into making money. If I think that my sports are important, then I put all my virtue and all my efforts into sports. And same thing with jobs, same thing with family, same thing with hobbies. And so Paul says, I had a lot of that. I had some hobbies. I had some, some important things. But when I met Christ, I count all of those things loss because when I stand before God in the judgment day, He's not going to ask me how many medals I won or how far I could run or or how important my family was to me or my hobbies or or my sports activities. He's going to ask me, what did you do for my son? My son came to this earth 
He didn't marry. He didn't have money. He didn't have hobbies. He put all of his efforts into serving me, and that's why he's my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And when I become a Christian, I'm also God's beloved son. But if I want to be great, then I have to purge myself. And that's what Paul's talking about here. And again, that's the essence of virtue. Virtue is getting rid of everything that's in the way. And so I have to leave those things behind, and I don't see those sacrifices as a mistake. We've we've all met Christians who, like Lot's wife, look back with longing. Oh, I had to give up so much to become a Christian. Don't you remember how much fun we had with drinking or gambling or carousing and when people do that they don't have any virtue virtue looks at those things as rubbish it looks at those things as mistakes and it doesn't look back with longing and that's why jesus said remember lot's wife when she looked back she became a pillar of salt i don't think her looking back was she heard a noise and she turned around i think her looking back was what Jesus said in Luke chapter 9, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. You can't get rid of and consider it rubbish and then next year say, oh, I want to go back to that. That's not virtue. Virtue is intensity and zeal. I see the goal. I see the prize. And so Paul had that attitude and that sense of uh, responsibility. And and he didn't stop there. Brian, if if you don't mind, would you read uh, Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14? Sure, you bet. So here, Paul says, Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended But one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And so this verse just breathes virtue. This verse just breathes intensity and enthusiasm. You can can just hear Paul. His voice is almost quivering with excitement. I haven't reached it yet. I haven't become perfected. But I want to be, and I'm pressing on so that I can lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold on me. Now, this is exactly how Peter started his book. God gave his divine power. God gave the precious and exceeding great promises. Well, what did Jesus give? Well, he gave his life. When we take the Lord's Supper, we remember the body and the blood and how he came to sacrifice that body for us. And so he had virtue. He wasn't going to let anything else get in the way. Jesus had a single-minded intensity to be the very best that he could be, and it made him sinless, and it made him so virtuous and so wonderful in the eyes of God that God just said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Well, Paul sees that. That's what Christ laid hold on him for. Paul wanted to be like Christ. Uh, He said in the previous chapter, in chapter 2, have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not count equality with God as something to be grasped, but emptied himself and became a servant. So his single-minded intensity from the moment he left heaven until the moment he returned, he was seeking first the kingdom, and that's what he laid hold on me. I'm, I'm supposed to follow Christ as an example. He was the perfect man. And we need to be like him. And then, of course, in verse 13, he says, I, don't, I haven't reached it yet. Because whatever goal I set, I've noticed this in my own personal life. I'm sure all of you listeners have as well. When we first become a Christian, the goal is just to get rid of all the terrible things that, that are on the outside. Maybe we use bad language. Maybe we were people who drank or smoked or gambled or, or got involved in activities. And we knew that, that we were going to have to sell that. And so within a few years after becoming a Christian, most of the time we, we get rid of those things. But lo and behold, we still have work to do because we now have replaced those with new goals. Now I want to learn how to pray. Now I want to learn how to worship and sing and, and do the things that God wants. Now I want to learn the Bible and I want to learn how to talk to people so I can help them. And I want to learn about false teaching so I can avoid it. And so we just keep exchanging goals 
And I often liken it to climbing in the mountains. When you, when you first start, all you can see is the top of the foothills. And so you climb those, and suddenly, here's another set of hills much higher. And so you climb those. And as soon as you reach the top, you can see that there's another set of mountains. And that just continues throughout our entire life. And, and the, more we, the more we mature, the more we can see. And the more we mature, the more we have to do. And I, I've often told people our desire to be greater often leads us to a situation where what we understand, what we could do, is not what we're yet able to do. And that, that brings up some conscience issues because I want to be the best I can be and I've just found out that there's things that I want to be that I can't quite reach. And God understands that. That's what the grace is for. When I started as a Christian, I didn't even know about it. And learning those things, God is pleased and God is smiling and God is happy. And then I work and I conquer them and then I move to the next level. And so I need to forget those things which are behind, whether they're sinful things that are discouraging me, I need to lay them aside according to Hebrews chapter 12, whether they are goals that I've already reached and now I'm pretty satisfied with myself, well, I need to forget those goals and move on to the next level, reaching forward to those things which are ahead. So we're always focusing. And then in verse 14, I press toward the goal for the prize, of the upward call of God. So God wanted Christianity to be an upward call. God, we, we need that virtue so that when we reach a certain level, we are going to keep moving and moving and moving. We're still going to be selling all that we have long after we become a Christian because we're going to be learning about new things to sell and new things to have responsibilities and obligations for. So day after day, we keep adding more and more and more. We make more and more sacrifices. And again, for some people, they say, wow, that's Christianity. That's not what I signed on for. That's not what I thought it was. I thought I was just going to become a Christian and sit down in my easy chair and wait till the Lord comes back. Well, we find out that's not what Christianity is. And so the first thing we need to add to our faith is virtue so that, as Jesus says, we can gird up we can get busy and we can be like servants who are waiting for their master. And when their master comes, he finds them busily doing the things that God wanted him to do. And so that's just really, really important. Yeah, I appreciate that good explanation, Alan. So did, did Paul express any applications of virtue? And is it safe to say that God expects all of us to follow Paul in this? Well, that's a good point. Let, let's read the, the last part of Philippians. Let's read Philippians chapter 3, verses 15 through 17. Okay, here it says, Therefore let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if in, in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us be of the same mind. Brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. So here we see the application. As many of us as think we are mature Christians, as many of us as think that we're the ones who eat the meat and we're the ones who are the mature, the the gold and silver in the church, so to speak. As Paul said, there are vessels of gold and silver and precious stones and of wood wood and earth and stubble. And so if I think I'm mature, then virtue says I need to have the same mind as Paul. If I really want moral excellence, if I really want virtue or goodness in the sense that the Greeks saw it as having the very best or being the very best. And so if, if I want to be that, I want to have the nicest field when people are planting their gardens or planting their fields. And some of them let them become overgrown and they don't fertilize them properly and they don't, they don't develop. And you see that field and you say, that individual, kind of like Proverbs where it says, I passed by the sluggard's house and the field was in disrepair and so was the home. Well, the people with virtue don't do that. And so whether it's my home or 
my field, or in this case, my spirit, my soul, my desire to be pleasing to God. I want to be Noah if God needs a Noah. I want to be Moses if God needs a Moses or a Daniel. I'd like to be a Peter or a Paul or even a Dorcas, somebody who did good works and alms deeds, just something so that when God says, well done, good and faithful servant, he can point to things and say, I really respect those decisions that you make. And so as many of us as are mature, we need to have Paul's mind. We need to look back with uh, gladness that we could sell all that we had. We need to be pressing on and we need to understand that God is watching and God is working with us. We're not in this alone. Jesus said, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. And he also said, take my yoke upon you. Well, the purpose of a yoke is to put two animals together so they can share the load. And Jesus is saying, I'll help you pull. I'll help you through this and I, I will be working with you. But we're the, we're the critical key. Jesus is, is perfect. He's going to pull that weight perfectly. But if I'm not pulling my weight, then I'm not going to be the person that the Lord wants me to be because I'll be holding him back. He's, he's ready to move with me. And I'm, I just don't have any virtue. I don't have any interest. I don't have the desire. Or I don't have enough of it. And so this is a promise God makes that if that's the attitude, and, and this kind of summarizes what Peter said when he said, if you do these things, you'll never stumble and thus will be richly supplied to you the entrance. Well, here Paul says, if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal this to you. So God's watching us and he knows that there are still some inconsistencies in our lives. No matter how long we've been a Christian, we, we don't always see uh, the responsibility. As James pointed out, to him who knows to do good but doesn't do it, to him it is sin. So once we conquer what we call the sins of commission, in other words, using bad words or committing adultery or lusting after a woman or uh, desiring covetousness or even putting forth those efforts. And once we get rid of those things, now it becomes sins of omission. Am I praying enough? Am I, am I encouraging my brethren enough? Do I have enough good works? In other words, I want, and, and God's watching and God's, and this promise of Paul is that God will reveal this to us. And then he says in verse 16 that whatever degree that I've attained, whatever mountain height that I've reached as a Christian, the first two or three years, the first, the next five to 10 years, then 20 and 30 and 40 years, we want to see Christians growing and developing and growing and learning and growing and, and being more active. And so wherever I am in that, he says, that's where I need to walk. And then in verse 17, Paul says, join in following my example. So Paul's an example now. He says in the next verse, the things that you have learned and received and seen and heard in me, these do and the God of peace will be with you. So the Holy Spirit is stamping Paul's example with the divine inspiration that God will be with me if I follow that example. So I've, I'm, that now becomes selling all that I have to follow Paul and what he has said in this chapter. So this is virtue. This is the heart of virtue. This is the soul of virtue. This is what I have to add to my faith. Whatever it took for Paul to do that, and as, as I said, it's those precious and exceedingly great promises. When John said, it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but when we see him at the second coming, we will be like him. So one minute, I'll have this fleshly body. The next minute, I'll hear the trumpet and the sound of the angel's voice. And then I'll see the Lord. And when I look back down at myself, I'm going to look just like him. And Philippians 3 says the same thing. Our citizenship is in heaven from which we eagerly wait for a Savior who will transform our lowly body into conformity with his glorious body. And that's just three verses away from this verse. And that's where Paul gets his dynamics. That's where he gets his energy, his effort. Just like when we are hooked up to the power of the electricity, whatever we plug in is going to be energized. Well, Paul is showing us that virtue gives us that energy. It gives, that, gives us that motivation, that desire to want to be the best that we can be. And then after I'm following his example, then I start looking around in the congregation and all the Christians that I know, and I find those people who are using Paul as a pattern, and I befriend them, and I get advice from them, and I, and I grow and I develop with them. 
And so this is a critical thing. So virtue essentially creates a firm commitment. Like I said, in Hebrews 11, by faith, Abel offered a better sacrifice. By faith, Enoch was translated because he put virtue first and God said, I'm going to take this man to be with me. And by faith, Noah set aside everything to build the ark. And by faith, Abraham left his country and his kindred and all of his his, his hobbies and job and life. He suffered the loss of all things, just like Paul did. And on and on it goes. And then we come to the end in chapter 12, where it says we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Paul's not the only example. Every one of those Old Testament Bible characters, as I read their lives, I find people who are just like me struggling with my weaknesses and struggling to become what God wants them to be. And I'm surrounded by that. And that gives me the same excitement and the same intensity, and that's virtue. When I look at what God said about Job, and I look at what God said about Daniel, you're greatly beloved. When I look what Jesus said about Peter, you're going to become a rock. Well, I want that. And that's what virtue is. Virtue is, I want that, and I'm going to make the sacrifices, and I'm going to lay aside the weights and the sin, and I'm going to run with patience the race that is set before me. Yeah, it's interesting. When we first started this podcast, you know, we were talking about some of the challenges of uh, understanding these particular terms and then putting them into practical use. Uh, hopefully by now our listeners, you know, can begin to see, you know, some of the challenges, particularly with this very first one, um, especially with, you know, this concept of this enthusiasm, this virtue is somewhat open-ended. You know, it's not like I can take a class, take the test, get a passing grade, fine, and then move on to something else. It's something that is always, always needs to be emphasized, always growing more and more. You know, I find it interesting earlier, you guys were talking about, you know, the Olympics. And certainly we can see where people have, you know, developed that uh, enthusiasm or that dedication, if you will, that sets everything else aside to focus on that kind of a goal. You know, in English, we have a kind of a little similar word uh, to virtue of that of a person being a virtu- virtuoso, you know, within like the music industry or the art industry. You know, I've, I've dabbled a little bit with musical instruments and they're hard. You know, I find it hard to imagine someone who can dedicate all the time and effort and energy and study and, you know, being mentored, et cetera, for a lifetime, you know, to master the violin or, or master the piano. And when they do, it's, it's a beautiful thing to behold, but it's an ongoing as you said, you know, dedication. And it certainly sounds like virtue likewise is this all-encompassing sort of all-energizing emotion. Alan, are there, you know, any other scriptures you can think of that could help us better see, you know, what God expects of us in this case? Well, of course, the parables are helpful to us and they really outline and explain. Jesus was a master teacher and he really emphasized the things that are the most important. So we see the the ten-talent man and the five-talent man trading, making gain, and, and receiving great praise from the master. And then we see the man with no virtue, the one-talent man, who just hides what he's been given and never does anything with it. And then makes the excuse in the end that he was afraid. And then the master making the point, well, if you were really afraid, then you would have done something. You would have been too afraid not to do something. You would have put money out at interest. You didn't do anything. He had no virtue at all. And then the five wise and the five foolish virgins, the, the five wise virgins, they had extra oil. They put forth the time and the effort to be ready, to be prepared, and, and that's virtue. And the Good Samaritan who sees that poor guy beaten by the side of the road, whereas the Levite and the priest had no virtue, they just walked on, they didn't want to pay the price. But the Good Samaritan, he had too much virtue to leave that man in that situation. And so he stopped and he put forth his time, he took care of him, and then when he left, with, left him with uh, the innkeeper, he didn't leave him to take care of him, he gave him the money and he said, whatever else you need, when I come back, uh, I'm going to give it. And David, before Goliath, the, the whole rest of the nation was quivering in fear. But David had the virtue and the understanding to put his life on the line. And so when we make this our priority, 
when we look at all of the different men, and like I said, there's so many witnesses that would tell us how to get virtue. When Moses became of age, he refused to be the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing affliction with the people of God. And we're told in Hebrews that he was faithful in all his house. And God was very pleased with with Moses's virtue, Moses's dynamics that kept him ready to make whatever sacrifice. And that's what this is all about. That's what, what we're dealing with here. And, and Jesus captured this in Matthew chapter 6, 33, when he said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else that's really important, that'll just be taken care of. Food, clothing, shelter. And of course, the commands of the Lord regarding the family make us the best possible father, the best possible mother, the best possible children. If we seek first the kingdom of God and we put into practice the things that God has asked us to do based on our virtue, we're going to be successful and we're going to be wise and we're going to receive eternal life. So seeking first the kingdom, again, it makes perfect sense uh, because without virtue, we may never reach the goal because the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches can choke the word. Now, the man who had virtue, he was the man who had a good and honest heart, and he produced a hundredfold. In other words, he added to his faith the virtue, and then the knowledge, and the self-control, and the perseverance. But virtue comes first, because without virtue, the knowledge, self-control, and perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love will be too difficult. We won't sell all that we have to get them. And then in, in Luke, he talks about the man who is choked with cares and riches and the pleasures of life. And then, of course, John telling us in 1 John chapter 2, love not the world or the things that are in the world, for all that is of the world is not of the Father, but is of the Son. That's what Paul meant. I gave them all up. I suffered the loss of all things. And whatever things that were in the world, and as I say, sometimes the things in the world are masked. We can't see them until we've added virtue and knowledge and self-control, and then suddenly we see clearly this has to go. And so the responsibilities and obligations are easy to shoulder. My yoke is easy. My burden is light, Jesus says. Well, they are if, if we have virtue. If we don't have virtue, it's just like the person who wants to be an Olympic contender. But then he goes to the coach and the coach says, well, here's what you've got to be willing to do. You've got to give up this. You've got to do this. You got to, and he says, well, that's too much for me. Uh, I'm going to go back. I, I can't do that. Well, Christianity is on the same level. Without virtue, we're going to shrink back. And God says, if, my, if you shrink back, my soul has no pleasure. I want you to have faith to the saving of the soul. And so virtue is a tremendous commodity. And as I close, I just want to add this one point. You can't have virtue without motivation. And you can't have motivation unless you have the faith to accept the promises of God, the power of God, and the need to fulfill everything he asks us to do in order to please him, in order to partake of the divine nature, in order to be the kind of people that, that we ought to be. And so when you want to add virtue to your faith, first you look at your motivation, and then you look at your willingness to sacrifice and then you get busy and you start adding virtue. You start adding more motivation. You start adding more enthusiasm. You start adding more of the desire to get rid of those weights and to, like Paul, cast them off as rubbish and press on toward the upward call. So uh, I challenge all of you. Virtue is, is one of the most precious commodities. It makes being a Christian easy and exciting. It makes every sacrifice a pleasure instead of a, a, a burden. And virtue just changes everything into a much more positive light. And so I would just encourage all of us here to give careful thought to this. Well, and Alan, thank you for teaching, you know, these important biblical principles on virtue. You know, we can certainly see why this was probably the first, you know, the Holy Spirit made this the first spiritual quality to add to our faith. And uh, so we encourage our listeners, as you mentioned, Alan, to strive for that moral excellence that he discussed and think about the points that the Bible makes as to why it's critical to add it to our faith. Jeff, do you have any final thoughts? 
The only thing I might do is point people back to the website if they'd like some uh, further information on this topic. If you go to our website at biblequestions.org, look into the topical index under V for virtue. Uh, we've got one article there. And likewise, if you look under the lessons menu choice, uh, lessons uh, followed by Christian living, uh, you'll see a section called Adding to Your Faith, uh, which uh, Alan has derived a, a good deal of his material from, which you can actually you know, see online in uh, PowerPoint uh, format. So, Alan, as we wrap up, can you give our listeners an idea of the next spiritual quality that uh, you plan on discussing to add to our faith in the next episode? Well, once we have virtue and we want to be the best, then we have to add knowledge. We have to learn exactly what God wants us to do. Just like that guy that wants to be the best, he has to learn how to become the best. And so we, we have multitudes of scriptures where God encourages us to study his scriptures and to learn the scriptures and to understand the Old Testament was written for our learning. It was written for our instruction. And so we've got to add that knowledge. And as Jesus said, if you hear these words of mine and do them, well, you can't do what you don't know. So you have to memorize it. You have to have certain key thoughts. And that's why I said at the beginning of the lesson, you know, what we need to be looking at are those things in the scriptures that give us the most information in the quickest amount of time. So we start with that and then just broaden it out and broaden it out and broaden it out. And one day we'll wake up and we'll see that we have a comprehensive knowledge of the New Testament and the Old Testament, and we are mature. So next we'll be talking about that knowledge. That's great. Yes, knowledge is so important. So we invite our listeners to join us for this next episode to learn more about what you can add to your faith. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Bible Questions podcast. We invite you to visit our website at biblequestions.org, where you can find over a thousand scripture-filled articles on a wide variety of Bible topics, along with about two dozen free Bible study lessons and other Bible study aids. Plus, you can submit a Bible question to us to get a personal response within a couple of days. Check it all out at biblequestions.org.